That was when I should have been studying. So anyway, well, hey, folks, um, open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We take a one-week break from our study in Hebrews uh, to focus on something that uh, our staff is trying to purposefully focus on. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. So if you find uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, uh, that the first one, uh, yeah, Timothy is next. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and this is God's word. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you've seen uh, trust falls before. You know what a trust fall is. That's where you're with a group of people and you do one of these things and you fall back and they catch you. And, uh, you know, the, the, probably the last thing I would ever do in my life is a trust fall uh, on a ropes course or climb over some wall or something like that. But uh, so, uh, yeah, trust fall. Will they catch me? Oh, will they catch me? Oh, they do catch me. Oh, high five, everybody, you know. But, um, but that, you know what a trust fall is, where you fall back and they catch you and you experience this uh, having been caught. Well, I'm not sure that the majority of Christians think of the eldership of a church in that way. Uh, but I do. And I can point back to at least two or three major occasions in the history of Grace of Anne where something has been so momentous, something has been so difficult, so trying that you've got this plurality of wisdom that weighs into it. And as a staffer, particularly, as a staffer who's privy to a lot of private information, you just come to a point where you go, we, I, can't, I can't control this. I don't know what to do. I don't have the wisdom funneled into this thing. And you have, just have to lay back and just fall back. And I'm telling you, it's a blessed thing. Chris, and I, Chris Luke and I have talked about this quite a bit. It's a blessed thing to be able to fall back into the arms and leadership of the eldership of, of a church, of this church in particular. Um, and again, I'm not sure that that's how Christians think of a session full of elders. I think that Christians generally think that there's a bunch of boardroomy type guys that have boardroomy type meetings and they do these functional things. And um, I don't think they think of them um, the way Jesus thinks of them. I think we tend to think that they're businessmen, uh, it's functional. Uh, sometimes uh, people think think of the elders as being distant or absent or who are they and there's confu- what what Jesus thinks about them though is this you know when Simon Peter the resurrected Jesus meets with a defeated and hurting um, Simon Peter he says hey Peter do you love me and Peter says yes and you know what Jesus says feed my lambs that's what he says feed my lambs you love me then feed my lambs 
And that's how I would like you. That's the way I think the Bible presents uh, the elders of a church as, um, as, as being in the lamb feeding business. So that's our main idea here for today. Church elders are in the lamb feeding business business. That doesn't mean they eat them. That means, they, <laughs> it just dawned on me, um, that, that means that they are taking care of the flock that Jesus loves so much. And if you're not thinking in those terms, I think that you got it wrong. Uh, so let's do think in those terms. Now, um, the reason I'm doing this passage today, as I told you, is it's something that we recently discussed at staff meeting. Uh, every year we have elder nominations, and every year uh, we're trying to get people to nominate, and every year we analyze it after it's over, and we go, man, we really ought to do something where our people kind of have some criteria uh, with which to nominate someone, and so that's what this is all about, this passage, and there's a parallel passage in Titus uh, that you can find easily um, that will guide you and help you prayerfully uh, do that. So, Um, Let's go to our first point, which is this, uh, the nobility of the task. That's what the Bible says about it. Um, That's right from the passage. Look at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, when he says, uh, this is Paul writing to Timothy here, the Apostle Paul, to young Pastor Timothy. When he says the saying is trustworthy, um, what does that mean? What saying is he referring to? The answer is, I don't know. It's a saying from the culture at large that he is appropriating and he is bringing it into, into his argument. And he's basically saying, uh, you know, it's kind of like we would say, hey, a stitch in time saves nine. We go, oh, yes, I understand that. That's a true statement. I get that. He's taking some proverbial thing of the day and he's saying, hey, it's a trustworthy statement um, that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder uh, or presbyter, he desires a noble task. Now, um, and by the way, Paul has another trustworthy saying in uh, chapter 1 where he calls himself the chief of sinners, okay? So, in any case, the point is twofold. If you look at the passage here, uh, two things. Number one, to aspire to the office of overseer is, can be a good thing. To aspire to that office can be a good thing. To want to be in leadership, to want to uh, feed the lambs. That can be a good thing. So that's in the passage. We'll talk about it in a second. The second thing, though, is that it is a noble task. Uh, The function itself is a noble thing in itself per the scriptures. So let's start with the second one first, that it is a noble task to serve as overseer. Um, If you have a new American Standard Version, which I know my wife, my sweet bride does, where is she? Uh, Yeah, there she is. Um, She has uh, a fine work instead of a noble task, a a fine work. That's pretty cool. Uh, The King James and others, um, uh, I think, say that too. Uh, I'm not positive. Good work, good work. All right, good. A fine work, a good work, yay. Um, Other translations would say honorable. It's something that's excellent. It's something that's good. It's something that's right. Um, so it's a, it's a good thing, uh, it's a good task, all right? And as one commentator notes this, he asks this question, why does the scripture writer even bother to remind us or to state that it's a noble task? I mean, wouldn't you think that it would be a good thing to do to like help the church? Seems like it'd be a good thing to do. Why does the scripture writer feel the need to state it, especially since it's obviously being applied to the church? Well, um, I can tell you straight away that I don't have to check with an a scholar uh, or an expert for an answer. I can tell you that the scripture writer is saying that it's a noble task reminding because, ladies and gentlemen, it is really hard. 
and it is really messy, and it is really costly, and it is really important. I think that's why he's calling it straight away a noble task because it is really challenging and difficult. It's just not, oh, it'd be great to help out of my church, da-da. I mean, you step into things you didn't think you'd step into ever. And you step into hardship that you would never elect to step into. And, you know, you come from the business world or wherever, you know, people who tend to be elders tend to be people who lead, tend to be people who accomplish things. And uh, when you accomplish things out in this, this world, it's one thing. When you come into the church, you're digging into people's lives and it's complex and people get their feelings hurt and there's tears and things that you, it's, it's kind of like you get married to the whole church all at once where you feel this, this overarching care for them, and uh, you're, you're immersed in, in ministry to them, and that doesn't go away ever. You don't ever get to clock out. It's, it's really challenging. Um, and, you know, in, in the secular world, there are all kinds of incentives, like um, making money. Um, or making a name for yourself, or power, or wielding authority, or whatever it is, influence, security, all those things. In shepherding the flock, it's just sacrificial. Uh, there's none of that. And even if there are things like influence and notoriety and all that kind of stuff, people know that you're an elder and you do, you do make decisions that do affect people and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're just byproducts and something that the true shepherd, the true overseer, the true lamb feeder doesn't take credit for his, his, his own self. Um, it is God's doing, God's working through uh, these shepherds. Okay, and I, so I've often said, ladies and gentlemen, that... Um, you're, you're to treat your spouse, your husband or your wife, like the treasured possession they are. You get it? I mean, here's how God, Christian, um, thinks about the, the Christian person you're married to. He sent his son to spill his blood to win that person's soul. And he takes that person and he connects it with your life his or her, she, he or she connects it with your life. And he says, here, this is precious to me. My son died to win this woman. My son died to win this man. And I'm entrusting him or her to you. And, and you're to regard her or him the way I do. Well, that's a pretty weighty thing, isn't it? Maritally? Well, I'm telling you, as an overseer, that same kind of thing happens. God says, I am entrusting these precious souls to you. Now feed my lambs. It is a very noble task. That's how much God so loved. So let's go to the other, the other side of it, um, this, this term uh, overseer itself. Um, uh, look at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be the office of, uh, to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, if you look that up in other Bible translations, you'll find um, oversight or exercising oversight. You will find maybe the term elder uh, interchangeable with uh, overseer. And in some translations, you'll find the, the term, the word bishop which is quite an interesting one. The King James Version has bishop, I think. I don't know if New King James does. does. Uh, bishop, isn't that interesting? Well, I'm not trying to dazzle you with a, a language that I, I don't speak uh, or read, but uh, you can, this one's a really easy one to spot. Episkopos, that's a Greek word, episkopos. What do you think, what, do you, what word do you think we get from that? Episcopal, exactly, exactly. And so that, that, that's, that's this biblical idea here, this overseer idea. That's where that, we get that word episcopal. And there are other couple words in the Bible um, 
that are treated by New Testament scripture writers as synonyms to that, okay, episkopos. Um, uh, for instance, in Acts 20, uh, the words for pastor, which is a poimen, the words for pastor, elder, presbyteros, and bishop, episkopos, those three words are used in Acts 20 interchangeably. They're used um, as synonyms. All right, so that's what the scripture writers do with that. And in fact, in, our, in, in 1 Timothy, later in 1 Timothy, Paul himself in chapter 5 will use the terms overseers and uh, elders interchangeably. So even though they're different words, in, this, in the Bible's mind, they are used interchangeably and as synonyms. And the point with all that is, is this. You know, when the word bishop appears in a couple of translations only, that's not, that's not time to make divisions um, and say, well, this person's office is here and this person's office is here and you know, you get, you, your hat gets pointer, pointier and pointier as you go up the chain. Uh, that's, not, that's not how you build it in the scriptures. Uh, the idea is this, that a teaching elder and a ruling elder do not have higher levels of authority. All right, so we have teaching elders at our sta- on our staff uh, at our church, Dr. Young, Randy Carston, and so on, um, and then we have ruling elders, okay? So we have teaching elders, ruling elders, but they are on par, all right? At the same time, somebody's got to have the captain's wheel. That would be Dr. Young, and uh, he's, somebody's got to point the boat. Somebody's got to be a visionary, and it's a, it's a careful balance between being a visionary and pointing the boat and building consensus and working together with the eldership, it's just a very mysterious thing. And I'll tell you, um, that's one thing that does make this thing hard. When you come in from the outside world and you're a person who's used to running things, a person who's used to directing things, uh, all of a sudden this, there's this plurality. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's not democracy, but it's democratic. But, the, but the, the key is it's the Holy Spirit who is guiding and governing. And it is the Holy Spirit to whom this whole body submits. Uh, so it is with these overseers. All, all that to say, to, apply, to, to apply it to your life, let me say this. Um, one commentator I was uh, reading had a very uh, inf- interesting sentence that I, I just loved. All right, I'm going I'm to put it to you. He says, the elders ought to be treated with blank. What do you think the word should be there? Respect. Respect. Any other, anybody else have another word? Pity. <laughs> That's the wife of an elder, pity. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's pretty funny. All right. Respect, pity. <laughs> Anything else? Anything else? Honor. That's great. All those prayer. Those answers are great. Here's what the commentator said. I I just love this. He said, the elders ought to be treated with affection. I just found that to be so refreshing. Uh, And I'm not sure that's the way the church thinks about it. I I think think people think respect, yes, um, but affection, ladies and gentlemen, because church elders are in the lamb feeding business. They're, they're soul caretakers, and there ought to be an affectionate sense toward them. Um, 
Um, though, it, though they have to be tough sometimes, it's still a mercy. It's a, it's a tough mercy. It's a tender mercy. It's a tough mercy. It's mercy toward Christ's tender flock. Um, I've got an illustration for you that I know that I've shared with you before, and I've shared it with several people uh, independently. But, you know, I, get, I, get the, the, I have this, a singularly unique viewpoint at Grace Evangelical Church, which is, and I'll have it today, on Communion Sunday, Communion Sunday, I go up there to close up the service. Actually, Andrew Bryant, Andrew Bryant gets to do it too. You close up the service, and um, you get up there to sing the, the, the third verse of it as well with my soul. And what you see is Dr. Young scurrying around serving the elders communion who have just served you all. And uh, i up there ready to go with my microphone button uh, for my cue, you know. And I see these men. And then we all stand and we sing, and I see, I mean, it's like row here and row here, and they're all looking this way. And uh, I, I look at them and I think, ah, 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 ah. And I, I just think, I know all of these men. And I'm telling you, my heart wells up with affection for these guys. And when it's over, they pick up the halfway empty trays and they walk up the stairs and they go backstage, and it's all I can do to not like touch a couple of them and, and, and I don't know, it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a precious thing. Precious not in a sentimental way, but precious in a good way. And so, um, yes, um, uh, elders are caretakers of the soul. I know them individually, and there's a sweetness there, but if you have to ever have to be in front of them as a group, it's scary as all get out. I mean, it really is frightening to be in a room full of people, even though you go, I know that guy, I know that guy, I've had coffee with him, I've golfed with him, I played tennis with him, blah, 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 blah. None of those things about me apply, but, um, but I know him, 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 but when they're in a group together in a session, it's scary. So that's the fine balance, right? Um, they are to be respected, they are an, a governing office, the session, and at the same time, they're caretakers of the soul. And along with respect, we're to feel a deep affection because that's God's intent. All right, second thing, the qualifications of the office. And, um, um, you know, the, the church, I think, um, fumbles and bumbles around concerning this, uh, which is why there have been so many... Um, strange things that happen. One, one thing that we have to guard against, ladies and gentlemen, we have to guard against political rallying. Um, there have been, uh, in years past, recent years past, situations where somebody goes, um, hey, in a Sunday school class somewhere, I got an idea. Why don't we all n- nominate Stanley Johnson? Well, can we all just nominate Stanley Johnson? Okay, let's nominate Stanley Johnson. That's not how you do it. There have also been situations where somebody goes around and they say, hey, can we count on your vote for Bill blah, blah, blah? Hey, can we count on your vote for Bill blah, blah, blah? Hey, can we count on your vote? It's not, it's not a frat uh, president uh, campaign. Uh, it's, it's carefully, prayerfully trying to find the people who fit the qualifications of the scriptures and, and prayerfully nominating them. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, let, let's look at... Uh, uh, Chapter 3, verse 1, one more time, just for this tiny thing. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The, uh, the office of overseer can be a good thing. 
It, it might not be a good thing if somebody thinks, oh, I'll get my identity when I finally get my, my influence in this place. Oh, everywhere I go, I like to run things, and I, I think this place, I want to lobby to get myself into the leadership there. Or if you think it's some great giant honor, oh, I've been chosen, oh, I've been nominated, oh, it's the high point of my life. No, no, no. Summoned summoned to serve with humility. Um, It's okay to aspire to be in leadership, but the hard attitude's got to be, Lord, I'm going to submit to you. Um, This thing is not just going to be fun and games the whole time, uh, and it's a work of the Holy Spirit. So it, it can be rightly aspired to, but these are the leaders that God is ultimately ordaining over us to whom we joyfully, joyfully submit in Christ. So here's what the aspired and thus scrutinized men are supposed to look like. Let's look at the list that that is given us here. Verse 2, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's a tricky one because uh, is there a person in here who would honestly raise their hand and say, oh, I am above reproach in my spiritual life and my walk here on this earth? Uh, Is there a person who would dare raise their hand and say, I'm above reproach? I don't think so. So what does this mean? I think it's this. I think the Bible puts it here um, as to general, regular, outward conduct to an observing world. You don't live a perfectly lived life. You make mistakes. You do goof up at times. In fact, you do embarrass the kingdom. You are sometimes ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You do say the wrong thing. You do hurt your spouse's feelings. You do exasperate your children every once in a while. It's true. Um, But the idea of being um, above reproach is that there's no notorious, nefarious um, habit or manner that would, would, that would thwart or be harmful to the kingdom. Does that make sense? So generally speaking, the, the world would look at you and say that, that, that man um, has an integrity uh, that is lived out in his life, okay? Simply put. All right, let's look at the next thing. Um, verse 2, uh, therefore the oversight must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now I'll save us some time, ladies and gentlemen, this idea of the husband of, of one wife there's hardly a sane scholar around who would say, well, that excludes divorcees. Or, excuse me, not, the, not them. They, who would say that excludes widowers. Hardly a, a sound, sane scholar anywhere would say that excludes widowers. You can see that, right? Husband of one wife. Well, of course it does apply to widowers. Uh, um, how about this? Um, how about a bachelor elder? Does it exclude an, a bachelor elder? No, there's no exclusion. Um, how about someone who has a biblical divorce? I mean, Jesus gives us criteria. Um, the Apostle Paul gives us criteria. Um, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. But what God has biblically allowed, let no man try to enforce. Um, it's, it's a tricky one. <laughs> um, let me just say this. Um, <laughs> Generally speaking, it is a person who is uh, monogamously lifelong attached to one woman. That's uh, a requirement for eldership. Uh, second one, verse two, I mean, third one. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded. The idea of being sober-minded there, and some of your Bible translations put, may put it a little bit differently. Um, the idea is there that he's got good, calm, cool judgment. Um, rashness, 
uh, is not a part of uh, the, the normal kind of operation. Um, reacting rather than responding, uh, that, that's not a part of it. He's a, res- he's a responder to things, not a reactor to things. Oh, let's, uh. he's a responder. Uh, that's the kind of person you're looking for. An elder must have kind of a, a British DNA, so to speak. Um, in fact, honestly, I mean, I've, I've thought about this a zillion times. This is kind of not in my notes at all. But uh, what I, I've, thought about, I've thought about jolly old England. Why do they, why, how do they last? I mean, you got, they've just been around forever, 800 years or whatever. I think it's because they do keep a stiff upper lip. I think because they got this kooky, kooky royalty that doesn't do anything except make money by doing nothing. But they've got this, hold on a second, don't freak out. You know, don't, hey, it's okay. You know, it doesn't matter what's happening in England. At 2 o'clock every day, they have tea. They stop everything and they go, okay, okay. Does not matter? Oh, bombs? Well, it's okay. Let's have a cup of tea. I think, I think that's kind of what, uh, the, the way the eldership is supposed to be. Not freaking out, but remaining calm to, to respond and not react. All right. Um, another one in verse 2. Self-controlled. The idea there includes decision-making. Um, it means to be sensible and discerning. Um, there was a large local church here about 25 years ago that got caught up in this Toronto thing. You remember the Toronto thing and all that, where uh, they would bark like dogs? Do you remember? Anybody remember the barking like dogs? It was a big thing. It was a big thing. And it, basically, it was, it was stimulation or the laughing thing. You remember the laughing thing? It was all part of the same thing where people would go to a big, con- a big stadium and uh, they would get everybody going, <laughs> laughing in this ecstatic state or barking like dogs, barking like dogs. Can you imagine a worship service where everybody's going, <laughs> I mean, how can that be sane and orderly? That's, that's insane. Um, you know, folks, I think it, it's kind of like this. You know, back in the day, I got to move. Back in the day, when I was in the Deltones, you know, we, we would finish a gig. We had a downtown studio on, on Madison and 2nd. And, uh, you know, you finish a gig and you drop off uh, equipment at like 2.23 a.m. downtown. Let me tell you, it's kind of spooky. Uh, you know, you, you, you pull up in your car and uh, you're not totally fearing for your life, especially since seven out of, out of the eight guys had guns at all times. Uh, but uh, you'd pull up in the parking lot. Sometimes you were just smack dab alone. Uh, and uh, you'd pull up and you'd look around. And you'd go, okay, I don't see anybody. I don't care. You get your, co- you get your, get your key out before you do. And, and out you go and straight to the door. And you're looking around corners. And it's not that you're just petrified. It's that you're vigilant. And I think that's what the saying is, that, is that a, a man considered for being an elder needs to be vigilant, needs to be looking at the church in a vigilant way. Um, another thing in verse 2, it says that he needs to be um, uh, respectable. In other words, he's to be mannerly. Um, the onlooking world should see someone, uh, again, full of integrity um, with, with, uh, within the culture at large. Another one, hospitable. Uh, that's another qualification. And that really had to do with ancient times particularly. You know, a sojourner would come through town, and there wasn't a Hampton Inn. Um, there, were, there were spurious places, and, and it, it is to have a heart that is open uh, and feels an urgency to the world around it, all right? I think that's a qualification here of uh, the, the eldership. Let, let, let's say it's, an, it's having an eye for the roaming at all times. Dr. Young prayed for urgency concerning the kingdom first hour. Uh, I think that's very much a part of it, having an eye for the sojourner at all times. 
uh, very pastoral. Uh, next one, able to teach. Now, that does not necessarily mean there's a preaching gift or a teaching gift. Those are gifts that God gives. This is not, this is not a, an oral report for school or something for debate team or a presentation that I've given for my job. When I write these things, this is not a presentation for my job. It's a, it's a spiritual gift that the Lord gives and the Lord can take away. And, ev- and eventually, when, when, you know, when your brain gets fried, uh, it will be taken away. It's a gift from the Lord. So I'm not saying that a, a, an elder has to have a spiritual preaching or teaching gift necessarily. But an elder must be a student of the scriptures and someone who brings other people into that study. Um, there, there needs to be a desire to weigh in when possible, whether it's a small group of guys that's being led in a little book study or it's showing up to something like man cake where you have input and uh, your voice adds to the conversation. Um, that, that's an important thing. Um, or you look at... Uh, for instance, Jeff Nevels, that dude, he is constantly meeting with some weird guy or some guy in trouble or he's, he's just constantly, he's got all these like squirrely little early morning appointments and he's always off meeting people. That's what I'm talking about. Or, you know, a, a couple Wednesday nights ago, I, I, I was going to rehearsal and, you, and basically you walk through the dark foyer at 7.30 every Wednesday night, I, I have a rehearsal. I go through the dark foyer on my way and I see Bob Wood, who's what, 89? Bob Wood and Ron Stewart off in the dark praying together because Bob mentors Ron Stewart. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ability to teach, to, to to weigh the scriptures into somebody's life and to be intentional about that. That's a requirement. Um, next one, not a drunkard. And, uh, you know, in, um, there's an important parallel in Ephesians 5, 18. You don't have to turn, but listen to this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the point. Being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Not being controlled by some other thing, but being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Next one is to be gentle. And you know that term, gentleman? Oh, what a gentleman. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Christian idea, to be a gentleman. Do you know that? Um, guess what? I'm stronger than my wife. I'm louder than her. I'm stronger. I could, I could beat her up. Um, I'm probably sneakier and worse um, I, I, but I've, I, I've got I've to hold back. I've got to be a gentle man. And, um, you know, I, I'm allergic to cats. And uh, I know some of you, you know, you, there's people who are dog people, there are people who are cat people. I'm both, okay? But I am allergic to cats. That's why I stay away from cats. But you know what? I, I thought years ago, I, years ago, I had this little cat named Coma. And uh, I love that little thing. And she'd wake up on my chest every morning and, and you know, look at me. And, and I, I, I've long thought that if a man can be tender to a cat, then he can, he's probably going to be a gentleman. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're just, they require, they require you to restrain your power a little bit. It's not, you know, your big Labrador. It's, it's you, you got to be gentle or, or they get spooked, you know? Um, I think there, there needs to be a tender, gentle restraint uh, in a man of, in a, of this office. All right, next one, not quarrelsome. Um, no mature believer, ladies and gentlemen, loves debating the Bible. Loves debating the Bible. 
I mean, you go home for Thanksgiving and somebody says, hey, how's it going, blah, blah, blah. You know, you ever known a Christian who's at the ready all the time? You know, they want to talk about this thing or that thing or this piece of theology. And it's not let's discuss it, let's debate it. And young Christians do that too. Let's stay up all night long and argue in the dorm room. Let's go to Thanksgiving and argue with my grandma and grandpa. That's not mature, ladies and gentlemen. A person with that demeanor is not to be even considered uh, for uh, such a position. Uh, Verse 3, not a lover of money. You know, it's okay to have money. It's okay to enjoy good things. It's okay. But it can't be your love. If it's your love, it's an idol, and you can't have an idol. So it can't be someone who is a lover of money. Um, uh, in Hebrews 13.5, um, we'll get to it soon in our other study, it says, uh, keep your life free from the love of money. Money's not the problem. It's the love of money um, that is the problem. All right, to close, uh, we're, we're getting the home stretch here. Verse 4, there's, uh, uh, where are we? Hang on a second. Oh, I'm going to go back to my passage. Um, verse 4. Uh, he must manage his own household well with all the dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his house, how is he going to care for the church? That's pretty easy to understand. I mean, if you have a uh, 13-year-old uh, in the hallway of the church and, and the dad says, come on, son, we're all going to go to uh, you know, Panera for lunch. Shut up, stupid. You can't make me. Well, I'm not saying that your kid can't have a nutty flare-up. But, I mean, if you've got a dad and the kids are wild and they obviously don't respect the dad and there's no respect in the house, I mean, are you kidding? Don't vote for that guy. Don't nominate a guy who doesn't have control of his children or, or basic respect in his household. Um, and then lastly, verse 6. Um, he must not be a recent convert. That's pretty obvious. Lest he be puffed up with conceit, fall in the condemnation, of the, uh, condemnation of, the, of the devil. He's a recent convert. He's been saved for six months. That hardly qualifies him for the office of elder. And that's not even a, a hard thing uh, to uh, explain, is it? That, that's just a logical thing. All right, last point uh, is this. The weightiness of the burden. And we'll spend a very short time on this because we're almost done. But look at verse 7. Moreover... He must be well thought of by outsiders, and here it is, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. You know, in other words, ladies and gentlemen, the office of eldership, the office of elder is dangerous. I mean, when you're influencing, when you're making decisions, when you're a caretaker over many souls, what do you think the enemy thinks of that? You're more targeted. You're under more pressure. It's, it takes greater diligence uh, concerning your home, uh, taking care of your wife, your kids. It's just tough. You're under attack. You're under assault. You, you feel hurt that you didn't expect that you would feel. You see things that you didn't expect that you would see. It's dangerous, uh, and it requires diligence. All right, last thing is this. This is just a personal observation. Every year, we nominate elders. And um, every year, I've got some kind of rehearsal or something going on, you know, on Wednesday nights. I, as soon as I finish worship in here, I'm in senior high. I'm in a different room. I'm doing a different thing. Um, and so I get the news kind of after the fact. I don't hear it when everybody hears it. Somebody tells me or I get a on my phone and I find out who the elders are. And every year, not every year, but almost every year, I'll be surprised by at least one. Hey, who are they? It was, eh, 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 eh. and I'll go, eh, hmm. Wow, 
Uh, and it's usually somebody I didn't vote for, kind of surprised, wow. And my next thought is, I honestly, my next thought, it's a joyful thought. I go, okay, Lord, then here we go. And it's amazing, honestly, that quite a few of those guys over the years have turned into wonderful elders where you're just going, wow, that was really God orchestrated and isn't it amazing? Um, All I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, it's a joy to be a part of this process. It's a responsibility if you're a member of this church to do this. And they are caretakers of your soul. They're lamb feeders and you're a lamb. And um, it's a joyful thing to then submit to those overseers. Um, I hope that's been helpful to you. That may or may not have been profound or clear, but uh, I hope that it uh, encourages you to prayerfully consider this. Grab one of these blue cards and earlier rather than later, okay, not in the last week when we're begging for them, but uh, in the next week or two, if you would prayerfully consider that and turn those in, uh, that would be an awesome thing. So there you have it. Thanks a lot, and let's pray. Father, um, I I just pray that um, the, the... requirements of your word would be made clear to these souls. I pray, Father, that you would help us in uh, leading um, our church by um, prayerfully nominating elders to do that. So uh, give us wisdom. Prepare those men even now, Father, for what they never dreamed they would get into. And uh, to our current session, Lord, I just pray that you give them stamina and wisdom and that they'll even find joy. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.